So this reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans. And he writes this. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Here ends the reading. So I want to invite you just for a moment to look up. And now, while you're looking up, try really hard to frown. While you're looking up, try really hard to frown. It's almost impossible to frown when you're looking up. It's a funky physiological thing. So, just a little, here's a little thing. If you're not feeling so great, not having a great day, literally look up, right? Look up. I don't know if your mother or your father ever told you, hey, look up, you know, don't look down, like whatever. It's just a, it's a crazy thing that physiologically when we look up, we, we, it changes our countenance. It changes things for us. And we have all kinds of control over how we feel about things just by manipulating our bodies because our bodies are connected so much with our minds and, and all of that. And we don't often think about that. But forever, forever, human beings have been looking up, right? If I grew up in the country, and so we didn't have a lot of the, you know, the light disturbance that we have in the cities now, where you, where, in, you know, at night, oftentimes it's hard, unless you live a little more out in the country or whatever, you can't see the sky, you can't see the stars. But for all of time, we've looked up and we've looked at the heavens and we've wondered about them. We've, we've tried to figure out what's going on up there. You know, we've named the constellations. We've, we've made up all these stories about things in, in myths and, and, and uh, legends and, and all that. And of course, now in the modern and postmodern era, we've discovered lots of things about the universe. It is an immense universe. So I just want you to imagine that. Who wants to, who wants to help me out here? I need somebody sort of back here. Somebody want to help me? I, I'm going to use a kid, even though you're a kid, Dad. I'm going to use a kid. Because I'm going to give a kid an excuse to do something that they can never, ever do again. You want to help? Come here. I'm going to let you stand on this chair. All right? I'm going to let you stand on this chair. And I want you to, I want you to hold this up above your head. Can you do that? All right? Now, I'm going to walk nine steps. On my finger is a grain of sand. This is a representation of the earth to the sun. A grain of sand, 27 feet to the tennis ball. Now, that's a pretty immense sort of thing, if you think about it. A grain of sand, which you can't even see on the end of my finger in relationship to the sun. That's just how immense things are. Now, I know you can throw that ball, so why don't you just throw it to me? Oh, you can throw it to me. There you go. Good job. As we look at the universe, as we look at the world, it can, it, I don't know about you, but 
thinking about those kinds of distances, thinking about the fact that the Milky Way, I think, is 100,000 light years or something in, in size. I can't even wrap my head around one light year, to be really honest with you, let alone 100,000. It's like, it's like the difference between a million and a billion. I, I can't wrap my head around that either, but yet we throw, we throw the word billions around all the time. It's this amazing sort of thing. We don't even have an understanding of it, but it's so immense. And so it's interesting then because most of us, when we think of it, when I hear us talking about it, we think, well, I'm so tiny. Like I'm like that grain of sand in this beach ball sized universe, maybe, you know, or larger. I'm this little infinitesimal thing. And depending on the people that you talk to, especially people who aren't of faith, they'll say, well, then that just proves that we, we aren't the center of the universe and we shouldn't think we're so special and, and, and all that sort of thing. But what's interesting to me is that as thinking beings and as, and as people who over time have had a relationship with God and have tried to understand what the universe is about, why, why are we here? What are we to do? That then we have something like Psalm 8, which starts out as a praise psalm, right? O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This understanding that, that God is majestic. God is beyond, beyond perhaps our, even our understanding, but just that this God deserves praise. You have set your glory above the heavens. Above the heavens. Like, your glory is, is even beyond what we think we can understand that from what we can see and, and, and what we know. And there's this very interesting phrase. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. I talked with, uh, I talked with Noah a bunch about this. We were trying to figure out what is this about? And it's not perfectly clear but as you dig into it, it's like even the, when the babies praise you, God, your enemies have to shut up. Even when the nursing infants praise you, your enemies are in awe. It's this juxtaposition of weakness and power all in one thing. And then the psalmist turns to those heavens. When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers. Because again, the Hebrews who then pass this belief on to us believe that, that the God that we know and that we follow is the creator of everything. That God is the one whose spirit moved and through God's word, everything was created and everything is sustained so when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. I mean, to the logical, rational mind, it does seem sort of silly, right? That there would be this creator God, this God of, in, in a sense, of all power and might, who would give a care about these creations. But the psalmist goes on. You have made them a little lower than God 
or some translations say the gods, which is an interesting thing that I'm not going to get into now. You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them. This is sort of a royal declaration and crowned them with glory and honor. So in a sense, like this is, we, we're, the, we're the princesses and the princesses of God. Crown them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And this dominion word, the way it's been translated over the years, has gotten us in a lot of trouble. Because dominion to us means we can do with it whatever we want. That it is under control. It's interesting here that, that one, one of the commentators that I read about this said, it, it seems like here that God limits God's power in some sense to give us power. So that we can become, and I think the better translation of instead of you've been given dominion, is that you have been made caretakers. You have been made stewards. And if you don't, if you don't understand the word steward, it really, the stewardess, we used to use that for flight attendants, right? That, that's a little far removed from the original use of the word steward back in the, in the Old English, which really was the steward was the one who was underneath the lord of the land. So the duke or the king or whatever, the steward. So the steward took care of everything in the castle, outside of the castle, in the lands, did, made all the deals with the farmers about who's going to trade what, who's going to get what money for what, who's going to get food distributions, all that. But the steward owned nothing. The steward owed, owned nothing and worked on behalf of the Lord of the land, to care for it so that, so that the people, if the Lord was a good Lord, so the people could be fed, so that, so that every, but there would be peace in the land, so that, so that probably also so that the, the knights or the armies would, would have what they would have to be able to protect the people. So all of those, all of those kinds of things is what the steward did, what the caretaker did. And here, that is what, that is what the psalmist says is, you, have, you, you made mortals just a little below you and you gave us all this power. All this power over all the things. It doesn't say over people, but we know that we have power over each other, especially through the systems and the governments that we have created over time. And we are called to be the caretakers, the stewards but we've too often, I think, held dominion over things. We've worked to try to use people and the resources of this earth for simply our own purposes, for, for often for selfish and individual purposes. Even today, in the governments of the world, you still see people who are the leaders using that power to have dominion over other people. They've not caught on to this idea that is just embedded in the Hebrew world and embedded in the Christian world that we are called to be stewards and caretakers. 
We're to be the ones who are leading the charge in caring for the earth, in conserving the world's species that are dying out so quickly, in watching out for the rivers and the seas and the fish and the birds of the air and and all of that. We Christians and, and really our Jewish brothers and sisters, we are supposed to be the ones who are leading the charge in these things. But it's not just about the dirt and the trees and the water. It is also about the people. We are called to be those who are willing to suffer on behalf of others so that they might have hope in this world. We, the ones who have been given so much, are called to be so filled with gratitude that we are willing to sacrifice our resources, our time, and our talents, and our money so that other people can have the opportunity to grow up into themselves, to become the people that God has created them to be, to have opportunity so that they too can participate fully as stewards of creation, as stewards of this earth, as caretakers of one another. It's a beautiful vision. It's a beautiful vision. And to me, it doesn't mean that somehow then we, we decide that we're the center of the universe and that, and that all that's important is human beings. It is that we really see ourselves in right relationship with God and with, and with the creation. The word humility in the scripture, we use it in a different way oftentimes in our, in our daily lives. Humility really is un, in the scripture is understanding your relationship with God. It really is understanding that God is God and we are not. And yet, and yet, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm leaving you, but you're going to do greater things than I have done. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you this power. I'm giving you each other. You're going to do greater things than I have done. What are human beings? We are those who are called to be caretakers and stewards of all that we have been given, of the earth, of the seas, and of God's people. So that all people, all nursing babes and infants might sing the praise of God and give voice to what the psalmist knows, which finally is this. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May you come to know the way that you are a caretaker the way that you can be a steward to love the earth and to love God's people with the love we have been given from Jesus Christ. Amen.